An underdog mentality, that's what's going to be best for the Cincinnati Bearcats to have success in year one of the Big 12. I'll explain why. You are Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. you believe that we are just over seven weeks away from the start of football season? Hey, thanks so much for making Lockdown Bearcats part of your everyday routine. I'm Alex Frank. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day is Lockdown Bearcats. I'm the host of Lockdown Bearcats, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. We are free and available wherever you listen to podcasts, including if you watch us on YouTube. So don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you do watch us and follow us on YouTube to get an alert every time that we drop a new episode. So the underdog mentality is something that I'm really fascinated by. And the Cincinnati Bearcats will have to play like that this season. They're going to have to play with the mentality of an underdog because they will be underdogs in several games. Oklahoma, Pittsburgh, BYU, potentially Central Florida, Houston, Oklahoma State, there's half the games right there. And they may be an underdog in some other games because they are still new to the Big 12. And it's going to take them maybe a year to get adjusted to Big 12 play. But the Bearcats have always thrived when they have been underdogs, both football and men's basketball. The Bengals have thrived when they've been underdogs. The Reds this year, FC Cincinnati, the city of Cincinnati, and particularly the University of Cincinnati, they have prided themselves on being underdogs. Now, when you hear the word underdog, and when you're growing up, when you hear the word underdog, it kind of has a negative connotation to it. But as you grow up and as you play sports and as you watch sports and you watch documentaries and you watch these inspiring stories, you, you, you come to realize that being an, an, an underdog is not a bad thing at all. That only adds fuel to the fire. And the Bearcats, I, I remember 2018. I remember leading up to that season. I remember how that first season went. And I think a lot of us going into Luke Fickle's first season felt like the Bearcats could make that run back to a bowl game which obviously did not. And the way the Bearcats got beat in those games, when they played Central Florida, when they played Navy, when they played South Florida, when they played East Carolina, I mean, they barely escaped UConn and Tulane, the only conference games they won. When they played those teams, you felt like, oh my gosh, how are they going to beat these teams ever? And then the next season, they flipped the entire script and go six and two in conference play. It should have been seven and one. But you look at the way they play Navy, and you look at the way they played, you look at the way they played against South Florida. You look at the way they played against East Carolina. How drastically different that 2018 team was from the 2017 team. You know why? Because there wasn't any pressure or expectations on that team. There wasn't this pressure of needing to fulfill expectations because there there weren't any. 
I think most Bearcat fans will tell you, and they would have told you at the time, myself included, that they would have been happy with just making a bowl game. I would have been happy with eight and four. They went 10 and two and were in contention for a New Year's Six Bowl up until the second to last week of the regular season. They were on college game day and the game of the week that night in just their second season. If you would have told me that that, I felt for sure that was going to be a noon kickoff, maybe on ESPN down in Orlando. It was the night game on ABC with Fowler and Herbstreit. If you would have told me that at the start of the season, I would have been like, dude, keep dreaming. But that's what underdogs do. They don't have this need to fulfill expectations. They can dream as big as they want to dream. And look at what the Bearcats did. Justin Williams of The Athletic profiled this right after the Bearcats were selected to the college football playoff in 2021. He did this profile of the four years of committing to the grit of that's grit with a T and how they built their 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 they, how they built their program from four and eight to college football playoff and there's a lot that went into it and a lot of that was things that broke their way Luke Fickle stain Desmond Ritter stain a lot of programs underachieving in 2021 like Ohio State like Oregon like um Clemson. So a lot of things they did. And then because I I firmly believe if you do the work, you'll get some breaks. And the Bearcats did. So this underdog mentality is what drove them in 2018. You saw the tough and nasty style of play return. That defensive line in 2018 was filthy good. Marquise Copeland, Cortez Broughton, Kamani Fitz, Michael Pitts. That defensive line was so stout and so consistent and so good at stopping the run, getting to the quarterback. It revitalized the Bearcats' defense and style of play that has contributed to so much success over the last, really, three decades. 19 bowl games in 26 years. And I know what you're going to say or what you're probably thinking. Well, that's not Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame. It doesn't have to be. And for the record, Notre Dame has had their fair share of down seasons. 07 and 16 come to mind. I don't think they went to a bowl game in 2009 either. So I'm saying all of this because the Bearcats are going to be underdogs this year. They are right now. They're picked to finish 13th in the Big 12. That's second to last. They haven't been down that far since 2018. Well, look at what that 2018 team did. They went on to win 10 games in the regular season and not only win 10 games, but dominate some of them. Their last three wins in the regular season were by 42, 11, and 50. And that includes a 49, that adds on to a 49-7 win over UConn on the road, they beat Tulane at home by 16, and they beat Alabama and m which I know isn't saying much, 63-7. to But they did what they had to do in that game because they didn't have any expectations. This team does not have expectations right now. This team 
has the ability and the freedom to go out there and play their style of play. That's really important here. They don't have to be anything that the national media or locally we expect them to be. And I think locally, people I talk to on the beat, talk with, they think the Bearcats are going to be better than the national perception. And the national perception is down on them. Good. That means they're not expecting much. Up next, memorable wins as underdogs for Bearcats football. And the win that I think catalyzed, is that a word? Was the catalyst for this 19, this almost three decades run of success for Bearcats football. I'll explain next on Lockdown Bearcats. Today's episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by Bird Dogs. They make you, Bird Dogs makes you look good because of their stretch khaki shorts that are designed, excuse me, to fit slimmer through the thigh and the leg, excuse me, giving you a truly sculpted look. Their shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. Why? Because they fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Bird Dogs fixed this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird Dogs uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. I love Bird Dogs. I wear Bird Dogs to run. I'll wear them to lift. I'll wear them to functions. I'll wear them everywhere. And right now, you can go to birddogs.com slash college or enter promo code college for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash college or promo code college for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Bearcats part of your everyday listening. We value the everyday listener on this show. Maybe you make Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. We like the everyday listener, and on tomorrow's show, you can expect I'm going to talk about what the Bearcats' identity needs to be in order for them to have success in year one in 2023, their first season in the Big 12. So the Cincinnati Bearcats have had many memorable wins as underdogs in their history. The one, though, that I think was the catalyst for this incredible almost three-decade run is the win over Wisconsin in 1999 and that was a good Wisconsin team but ever since then look at what that has led to it led to a very close call with Ohio State in 2002 and I think that game if you're a Bearcats fan if you're like oh my gosh we can we almost beat Ohio State we can we can beat them and it's created this this feeling that the Bearcats can play with any team in the country. It led to the win over number seven Rutgers in 2006. It led to the 08-09 seasons. It's led to, you know, how much you cared when Brian Kelly left and how angry that made you feel. It led to the good Butch Jones era, but never quite like Brian Kelly. And then that led to the anger and the disconnect and the sheer frustration and resentment towards the program that was here when Tommy Tuberville. But then that led to 
the revitalization and then breaking down barriers, as the book I have here from the Cincinnati Enquirer, of the Bearcats going to the college football playoff. So that went in 1999. And in the last 26 years, the Bearcats have played in 19 bowl games. Their first was in 1997. That was their first bowl game in over four decades. And the Cincinnati Bearcats since then have played in several bowl games. Miami, they've played in New Orleans, they've played in Atlanta, and now Dallas in the Cotton Bowl, in the college football playoff. But that win as an underdog over Wisconsin in 1999, out of nowhere, this school named Cincinnati, which at the time, I mean, you knew about the city of Cincinnati. Well, you knew it for Bearcats basketball, which was in its heyday. You knew it for the Reds because they were still really good. That was that 99 season, which we don't like talking about. But at the same time, I think about what that win did. A, that you just beat a really good Wisconsin, Wisconsin team that I believe was ranked number nine at the time, and they had Ron Dane as a running back. But you think about Wisconsin, this, this, big, this big name, this Big Ten offensive line power, and you knock them off. You're defending your home turf. And that's when Nippert Stadium became a place where a lot of teams maybe didn't want to go and play, and they certainly don't want to now. And I, I get it. The home game winning streak is over. But it's still a place where the Bearcats have played very well at in the last three, almost three decades. They've defended their home turf as well as any team in the country, as well as Ohio State, as well as Clemson, as well as Georgia, as well as name me any team. Because that is how good the Bearcats have been at home. And it all started back in 1999. Now, in the fickle era, there was the win over UCLA, which I think that's when you believed that that the page had been turned, that the corner had been turned. And what led and what happened after that was the Bearcats go 6-0. and They win 10 games. They win a thrilling military bowl, which I, I think meant a lot to the University of Cincinnati at the time. And yeah, it's the military bowl. No one outside of the Cincinnati and Virginia Tech probably have a rooting interest in that game. But to the Bearcats, it meant something. You go into the offseason with a bowl win, with momentum, you, I mean, the entire lead up to 2019 was very palpable, both on campus and in the city. They exceed expect, they succeed expectations. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm about to exceed, although they did win 10 games again. Plus, they came up just short of the conference championship and then dominated a bowl game, setting the bar high for 2020. But they were still underdogs, if you think about it, in 2020, because no longer was it. Well, we're chasing an American championship, and really 21. I think 2020, a lot of us were like, well, could they find a way into the playoff, especially because you didn't know if the Big Ten and Pac-12 were going to play. Could they find a way into the playoff? My thinking was, let's just win the American, which they hadn't done yet at the time, and that was their ultimate goal. Then 21 came along, and it wasn't about winning the American. It was about, could they crash the gates of the college football playoff? And they did. As underdogs, even though they were favored in Notre Dame, they were doubted the entire season. Case in point, they were number six in the college football playoff rankings initially. Sixth. They had to earn their way up. They were number four until the second to last week of the, of, the, of the season. They were sixth. They were fifth 
for two straight weeks, and then they were fourth the last three. They had to earn their way up, though. Despite being number two in the AP poll, which they had never been that high, the only team that was in front of them was Georgia. The Bearcats had to earn their way up. They were underdogs. They were doubted at every point in the season. Were they going to be able to sustain the the success they had? Were they going to be able to get help from other teams? Stuff that they couldn't control, they were asked about. And all of it broke their way. Basketball. Think about the 92 season, how that run came out of nowhere. Think about uh, 1998 beating Duke in the Great Alaska Shootout. Think about in Mick Cronin's tenure when they beat Xavier in his first season with a team full of, as Bill Cook calls them, the forgotten Bearcats. Those were here in the program's absolute darkest time. And that program got to, in the NCAA tournament in 2011, that program then upset Syracuse in the Big East tournament and then upset Florida State in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And what that did was it created expectations. And the Bearcats never got back to the Sweet 16. But they had so many wins as underdogs early on that it felt like that it was the beginning of something really cool. And the Bearcats will be underdogs in both sports this year. I'd love for them to beat Oklahoma, which the Big 12 announced yesterday that they are having a uh, a homecoming. There, what what is it called? They're having a it, it it's homecoming and like a welcome to the Big 12 for the new programs that are going to be entering the Big 12. And Cincinnati's is going to be on the 23rd or 20. Uh, first, second, and 23rd against Oklahoma. So what this is, is, I guess I did not retweet it to my Twitter page, but what this is, so the Big 12 announcing today that it's a homecoming tour, and it's going to Cincinnati the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. So basically on Thursday is a Women's Empowerment Day. Uh, So the Thursday is women's empowerment event, including panels and discussions alongside female student-athletes and female leaders impacting change across campus. Friday, athletes and coaches will visit one elementary school to unveil a $50,000 makeover for a new library media center as part of the College Football Playoff Foundation Signature Program Extra Yard Makeover Project. Saturday, uh, we'll see the Big 12 enhance each school's pregame tailgate experience, which, I mean, can I mean, if you can enhance the, 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 the Bearcats tailgate at Sigma Sigma Commons, more power to you. Um, enhancing each school's pregame tailgate experience with live DJ performances, limited edition merchandise, giveaways, and armed forces, pregame flyover, and more. So the Bearcats, it'll be at UC the 21st or 23rd against Oklahoma, which is, of course, the Big 12 opener. Looking forward to that. And, I mean, I, it would be incredible if the Bearcats could beat Kansas in basketball. That would be an upset. That would say, okay, Wes Miller has got this program going in the absolute right direction, if you didn't believe that already. So, over the weekend, Bob Huggins, once again, in the media, both locally in Cincinnati and nationally. And it it really got me thinking, because 
I'm really starting to wonder if his legacy at UC is taking a hit. We'll get into that next here on Locked On Bearcats. Let me be very clear by saying that I am someone that will always appreciate what Bob Huggins did for the University of Cincinnati. That doesn't mean that doesn't that won't be taken away by what has happened or what might happen in the future. I'm not going to condone what happened. I think it's very wrong the way that, I mean, obviously it was very wrong. He got a DUI. I think it's wrong the way he's handling it. At first when he resigned, it was, okay, he's getting help, which is good. But now he's saying that he never resigned, which this is getting really, really uh, just layered when it doesn't need to be. Like, you know how a story, there there are layers added to it. I mean, think about any scandal or sports story that has happened over the years, particularly at Cincinnati. I mean, I can think of, I mean, on a national level, there's, I mean, there's Antonio Brown and all the layers that sadly, was, you know, was eventually a part of his story. There's Jamarcus Russell being a bust. There, There's a lot. I mean, in Cincinnati, I mean, you can probably... Uh, Vontez Perfect, Adam Jones, the Cordy Glenn situation, Carlos Dunlap in 2020. With the Bearcats, Tommy Tuberville, obviously, it just got worse and worse and more layered when it didn't, you know, when you obviously didn't want it to be. But the first thing was when, you know, the Ohio recruiting and the way he handled that. And then basketball, it was John Brannon. And as we learned more and more about the situation, that became a fiasco. This is what it's becoming with Bob Huggins. And it makes me really sad. I had family in this past weekend, and they they saw I have a, I have Bob Huggins' book that Bill Cook wrote on my desk at work. And I think my grandfather asked me, the UC graduate, he asked me why I have the book. And I said, because it's Bob Huggins, and I appreciate everything he did for Cincinnati. And, but it got me thinking, how should I view Bob Huggins as a Bearcats fan and a Bearcats alum? From an on-court standpoint, he completely changed the Bearcats men's basketball program. I mean, he's to the Bearcats men's basketball program who Joe Burrow is to the Bengals. That's how legendary he is. 399 wins, a Final Four appearance, and just the talent that he recruited, the consistency in the regular season. I know he didn't win a lot in the postseason, but it's hard to do that, especially in the college basketball where there's always been a lot of parity. And you think about he was coaching in a time when Kentucky was still really dominant. Duke and North Carolina were very good. UConn was just starting to come around. And then you had UCLA was still really good. North Carolina in the early 90s. And then in the 2000s, it was the dominance of the ACC. So I just think about what Bob Huggins did at UC. And obviously what's happening right now. And unfortunately... It might be starting to take it might start to take a hit a little bit. And because he's been removed from the program for so long, it might be easy for someone like my age to not view him in the positive light of his legacy. However, I am 
I respect, I am a someone who appreciates history. I am someone who appreciates college basketball history, NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, especially because, and, and I, I say this to a lot of people, when the Bengals broke the curse of Cincinnati, I started to appreciate history more. Even history like the Steelers have. And I know the Steelers are just, you loathe them. But I've come to respect their history. Because now my team that I root for is good and a contender every year. I can appreciate history of the Steelers. Even Dallas. You just, you love to rip Dallas. But I appreciate their history. And so... I, I'm not going to ever change my stance on what Bob Huggins did for the University of Cincinnati. But the man he is right now, I'm not going to hide and say, yeah, this is causing his UC legacy to take a hit. I'm not saying that I'm condoning that. I'm not at all. But what I am saying is I'm not going to change my stance on what he did for the university. It, it was incredible. It was transformative. It made you completely buy in. It made you care. It made you expect. And I'm, I'm going to say this, if he does end up coming back, which I don't, I, I can't see a scenario where he does, would it surprise me if he did? I don't know. It wouldn't be fair if he did. I mean, it would be cool to see the Bearcats play a Big 12 game with Bob Huggins on the opposing sideline. But this is just, it just, it is really, really hard for me to see Bob Huggins coming back to West Virginia after what happened in May and after his DUI in June. I just can't see it. And unfortunately, I can't hide from the fact that to some people who are a generation before me, they might start to view Bob Huggins a little differently. If you're in my grandparents' generation, you probably def. I, I mean, I know my grandparents all the time. They approach him with a more questionable tone. And because they're they're keenly aware of what happened when he left Cincinnati, when he you know of the events recently. But my generation needs to understand that you should not. Well, I should say this: the generation before me probably still views Bob Huggins in a positive way. The generation before that, which is where my grandparents are from, they probably actually. Now I'm getting my generations confused, but. Those who are just a little older than I am probably revere Bob Huggins. They probably got into Bearcats basketball and went to UC because of Bob Huggins. The generation who, you know, were parents when he first started coaching, had kids. Yeah, they probably might have a different opinion on them now than they did 30 years ago. But to the generation that I'm in, don't let what, what, what's happened change your opinion. Well, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. To the generation that I'm in, it's okay if, if you're like, he coached Cincinnati. Why should I be a fan of that guy after what he's done? But if you appreciate history, you understand what he did for this university. I'm not changing my stance because of that. But I'm also not condoning what he's done recently. And I'm not going to hide from the fact that, to some, his legacy may be taking a hit. And it's so interesting how... This is happening with Bob Huggins and Corey Dillon with the Bengals. And I know James Rapine and Jake Liska talked about this on Lockdown Bengals earlier this week. 
But to, to what Corey Dillon and what's happened there recently is, I would say this. Why are we, why are former Bengals players, it fascinates me, why they still directly or indirectly take shots at the organization. Can you appreciate where they are now? I get it. 15 years ago, they weren't a great organization. Five years ago, they weren't a great organization. Now, they're one of the best organizations in sports. Forget the NFL. If you did a poll, if you did a rankings of the top 100 and, what is it, 32 times 264 and then 30, 60, 124 teams in professional sports. If you did a poll or rankings of the 124 professional sports team, I guarantee you the Bengals, first off, will be in the top five in the NFL. I guarantee you they'd be in the top 20 of that poll. That's how well run they are. And, and, and yes, a lot of that is due to Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. I will also say Zach Taylor. But it's also due to Mike Brown coming around and embracing modern-day business practices when it comes to running an NFL franchise. Why is Corey Dillon doing this? I mean, yes, he was a great player. Yes, he left and it wasn't great. He went on to have success in New England. Should he be in the Bengals' ring of honor? That's up to you. He left right before, <coughs> excuse me, I was just coming of age when it came to the Bengals when he left. I would say, I would say this. Why are we still taking shots at the Bengals organization? They're good now. Appreciate the success that the players, coaches, and front offices having. Appreciate the, you know, have like be happy for the current organization and let your grievances or let whatever you have towards them just go away. I'll say this about the Reds. Great first half. Really enjoyed it. Start of the second half is going to be really key against the Brewers. Are the Brewers becoming to the Reds who the Steelers were to the Bengals? But the Reds, I mean, yeah, losing one to nothing. I mean, look, it happens. But I am... Just a, a little starting to question it, but I do think if there's any team to stem previous teams and trends, this is that team. The Bengals, is there a question about them going into training camp? Not even about Zach Taylor. Maybe the secondary. FC Cincinnati, a little bit of a, I mean, they're not dominating like they were, but I mean, heck, they still have their home match unbeaten streak, which is good, although they had to come back from down 2-0 against Charlotte. Which, that happens. Coming up tomorrow, what the Bearcats' identity needs to be, what Emory Jones needs to do to be successful this season, and who will be the Bearcats' version of L.A. De La Cruz, Joe Burrow, and Jamar Chase. Lots to get to tomorrow on Lockdown Bearcats. I'm on Twitter, Frankie underscore Natty with two N's and an A-T-I. Instagram, AlexFranknet underscore. Email, Alex3FrankieGmail.com. Thanks so much for making Lockdown Bearcats part of your everyday listening. Maybe you made us your first listen every day. But on tomorrow's show... The identity that the Bearcats need to have 2023 to be successful in their first Big 12 season. For your next listen, check out Lockdown Sports today with Peter Bukowski as he runs through the biggest stories in sports in 22 minutes or less on Lockdown Sports today. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. They say, did I say it was Tuesday, July 11th at the beginning? Anyway, 
53 days away from the start of football season. Looking forward to that. I'm Alex Frank for Lockdown Bearcats, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the All-Star game tonight, MLB in Seattle. I'm back tomorrow right here on Lockdown Bearcats.